Well, what a absolutely wonderful, wonderful way to worship together in this room, choir and orchestra. Thank you. Thank you so much. There in the modern service, it was good to be with you, to baptize there earlier. And um, I know Scott and the team have led you well on this Easter Sunday morning. And what a joy it is to see baptisms, to see the Easter story, uh, the Easter drama. Uh, portrayed right in front of our eyes in baptism, and we would encourage any of you who see this story and it resonates in your heart to join us in Believer's Baptism. We baptize the first Sunday of every single month, and it is our joy uh, to show the world, to show our church what the gospel really is. So it has been a great, great morning. We invite you back next week, a brand new sermon series on vision and values. I have the privilege of sharing with you of recasting with you what Jesus has given us a vision to do here at Taylor's First Baptist Church and also the values that undergird that vision and what it means for us as a body in the days ahead. So we invite every single one of you back. You know, when it comes to death, human beings are limited as to what we can do. For instance, when it comes to the death of those that we really, really love and hold dear, we really are limited and all we can do as human beings, and we do it with all that we have, but all that we can really do is to honor those who have died. For instance, this past week, have you been watching the news where a Greenville police officer was shot last week and killed in the line of duty? The paper says that it was the first Greenville City police officer in two decades to be killed in the line of duty. His name was Alan Jacobs. He had two boys and he had a little girl on the way. This incredible officer who gave his life but really gave his service to a community that he loved and a people that he loved by all accounts. And so this community and those that loved him in the middle of incredible injustice and in the incredible tragedy of that did all they could do and they honored him and boy did our community honor him well. People from all over the, the United States, police officers in this incredible procession, both in their cars and as they filed in with 4,000 other people there in Timmins Arena to honor him. And, and then the pictures of Traveler's Rest downtown with the storefronts and their signs and the students and the children who made signs honoring Officer Jacobs. It, it was a beautiful, beautiful tribute. It was a beautiful way for human beings to do all that they could do to honor someone who was passionate and who loved and who served. And so that's all we could do to respond and obviously to support the widow and the family as well. Saw it up close and personal, not yesterday, but a week ago when I went to a funeral for my next door neighbor. She was 65 years old and just full of life and full of energy until Cancer took her life, and she battled cancer for two years and finally succumbed to cancer. And it was really moving as Sheree and I go to the funeral home and we're waiting in line. I see Sue Florence over here. Sue was one of those individuals who knew my neighbor and served with my neighbor there teaching. And there was this wonderful community of followers and colleagues and those who loved Kathy who were there to do all that they could do. And that is to honor and pay tribute to someone that they loved 
dearly, and who loved them and who served them and served students and served elementary kids incredibly well. But here is the incredible news about Easter Sunday. Because what we find are a, a group of followers, in particular just the women. In today's account, we don't even see the disciples yet. We don't even see the men yet, but we see the women disciples who are doing all that they could do. And that is to honor the one who died, and they do so with a limited knowledge that on Easter Sunday morning, God would do something more than human beings can do. <laughs> that God would not only honor his son, but as we've sung in both rooms, God would conquer death and would walk into the despair of death and he would reverse death forever and ever and ever on Sunday morning of Easter. It's this incredible truth we find in Matthew chapter 28. And I encourage you to turn there if you have a copy of the scriptures. If you don't have a copy of the word of God, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you here in this room. And in the other room, just raise your hand if you need a hard copy of the scriptures. You need a, need a Bible. And you might be able to find it on your digital device. So you can go ahead and turn on the scriptures as they say. Matthew chapter 28 this morning, and I, I want to read this account in full, and then we will walk through how God responds to death and how God responds to despair when we as human beings are limited and can only do so much. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, here is what the scripture says. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Now, these are two ladies that were at the cross when Jesus died. And so they work up the courage to go back to this tomb, to this garden cut out of a rock. And here it is where a stone has been rolled over the opening to this rock. And so they're walking into this garden. They're coming into this graveyard. And verse 2, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, for fear of him, were, uh, feared him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. How do you like that phrase? <laughs> do not be afraid. What you've just seen is supernatural, but don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come. So come, see the place where he was lying. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So verse 8. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Some of your translations actually has the quote where Jesus, Jesus looks at them and says, Greetings. Can you imagine that? Hello. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and it is there where they will see me. The Easter story this morning. The Easter story tells us how, first thought this morning, how that God's power invades the despair of death. The Easter story tells us how God's power invades the despair of death. Whenever God wants to get our attention, so he uses supernatural means sometimes. Now, in that particular time, he used a supernatural means of, of overcoming the forces of nature. We see it at the cross when, when Jesus was dying and at noon, the place turns dark. And for three hours, for three hours it's completely dark and there's this earthquake and this incredibly thick curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And there's this amazing understanding of the people that God in his power is letting himself be known at the cross. That God is speaking powerfully about his son. There at his death. But at the empty tomb we see it as well. That here's where God's power is becoming very, very evident. So we see there's this severe earthquake. And it shakes the earth. God's power is invading death. It shakes the earth and then it says that God's spirit raises Jesus from the dead. And the tomb is open. The door, the, the door is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. And Jesus gets up and he walks out. And before he walks out, it says in the other gospels, he folds his clothes neatly. You hear that, kids? He's pretty good about his clothes. He folds his clothes neatly and he walks out of that tomb. And there's this angel sitting on top of the stone. And when the soldiers who were there to secure the tomb, good luck with that, right? Go and secure the tomb, soldiers. Here comes God's power. God's power rolls the stone away. These guys are just passed out. They're just, they're just gone. And this angel is sitting on top of the stone and speaks to the angels, or speaks to the women. The angels are God's messengers. So here is what we need to understand this morning, is that when God sees his son in the tomb, he understands something. That death cannot be overcome. That the despair of death still reigns, as it does in Mary and the other woman, the despair of death still reigns until God's power comes in and raises Jesus from the dead. And he does that supernaturally through these incredible, incredible signs and wonders. And so as the women come, they see this and it says that they have great fear and they have great joy. But there's no way that they can fully understand. There is no way that they fully understand to this point what God has done in conquering death. You see, to, to this point, the, um, the, the culture around them, the, the Greeks and the Romans and the Gentiles around them, when it came, comes to death, as they see Jesus there in the tomb, here's what they're thinking. Ah, another one of these rabble-rousers, another one of these prophets, another one of these revolutionaries, and he's dead and he's gone, and... Many of the Greeks and the Romans and the culture at the time thought that once you were dead, that was it. There was nothing else. No wonder, no wonder they lived the way they did. 
There were some, though, that believed, some Greeks believed, that when you died, when they see Jesus there in, in the grave, perhaps his, his, his shadow or a ghost or something would happen, and he'd kind of enter into this other world. The Jews, Mary Magdalene and Mary and, and, and the disciples, he, here's what the Jews thought. There were some, there's a major, major group called the Sadducees, and the Sadducees believed that there was no resurrection from the dead. Can you believe that? This is a major Jewish religious group, and they said there just is no resurrection of the dead. That is why they were, think back to your Sunday school days, that is why they were sad, you see. Do you remember that? And there's this other group on the other side, the Pharisees, who said, no, no, Sadducees, no, no, here's what we believe, that at the end of time, there'll be a resurrection of the dead, and God will bring the just and the unjust together, and he will give out judgment. There were some Jewish people who believed that only the righteous would be resurrected. Today, if you go to Israel, there, as you um, approach the old city, there's this large graveyard and it's filled with graves. And to this day, you, you'll hear stories about people, Jewish people, who when they die, they will have their bodies flown back and taken back to Jerusalem. Do you know why? Because there's a belief that says at the resurrection that those who are buried near Jerusalem because the Messiah will one day come back to Jerusalem and gather all his people and they are going to be resurrected first. So it's as if they are going to get a, get a heads, heads up on everybody else in being resurrected. All kinds of beliefs about the resurrection. But here's what we believe. Here's what the scriptures teach. Here's what Paul said because there was all kinds of questions in the early church about this resurrection. All these questions floating around such as I've described to you. And there was a group of believers in Corinth who said this. There's, we're not going to be resurrected in our bodily form. There might be this other stuff. And Paul goes, whoa, 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 wait a second. Yes, you are. <laughs> Because, he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Jesus is not bodily raised from the tomb, death wins. If Jesus is not bodily raised from the grave, then your preaching of the gospel is absolutely worthless. Your faith in the gospel is absolutely useless. You are still, if Jesus does not raise from the dead, if we're not celebrating this, if this really did not happen, here is the most miserable news of all, that you are still in your sins and there is no way out. But he says it's not true. He says Jesus is raised from the dead. The eyewitnesses accounts from Mary and the other disciples and the other men. He's seen by over 500 people who says it is true. It is true. He is risen from the dead. And Paul tells the church, he says, okay, if that's the case, listen, God has invaded death. God has conquered death. He says, if he is raised from the dead, since he is raised from the dead, therefore, your preaching is absolutely worth it all. Your living is absolutely worth it all. Your dying is worth it all. Because, he says, he is risen from the dead. We can sing the song that we sung just a few minutes ago in this room. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The women saw it. The disciples saw it. Jesus is alive. Therefore, God in his power has rendered sin, judgment, hell, death, useless because Jesus has risen from the dead. 
And that's the story. That's the story that we, 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 we sing and we proclaim. And this is what spurs us on. Knowing that when we bury our loved ones, as some of you have, as people in this church have this week, that when you bury that loved one, you look back to Easter and you say, God has invaded the despair of death. My loved one, if he, he or she is in Christ, will live again. I love this, this fundamental truth of the gospel. Since Jesus is raised, we will be too. But here's another despair that we, that we deal with when it comes to death, and that is this. There's a despair of the death of our dreams. Now, don't miss this, because this is a central part of the Easter story, okay? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and the disciples, here's the reality for them, all right? We're just not talking about a theological foundational gospel truth that at the end of time will take effect and, we're, and, and we praise the Lord for that. What we're talking about is the resurrection meant something for that day, for those women and for those disciples who had a death of a dream. They had a death of, of something that they loved, of expectations that they had that didn't come about because they, they believed Jesus. They, they, they watched him. They saw him heal people, and they're thinking, here he is, God's own son, we believe, and now he's dead. Our dreams have been crushed. Our expectations are shattered. Our hearts have been broken. And some of you this morning, here's the reality. You, you, can, you can sing, and we do. With all that we got, he is risen. He, and we kind of look towards the future of that. But here's the reality. Jesus and God have invaded the despair of death for you right now. The, the death of expectations, the death of, of a dream, the death of, of someone or something that has done you wrong. You have been sinned against or you have, you, someone has, has done something that has totally, has totally turned your life upside down. Or you have sinned against somebody else. You, you have made mistakes against other people. And now you live with this shattered expectation of a life. Come Easter Sunday morning. I read something this past week. And it was, it was, a, uh, it was a wonderful article about Good Friday. And it was written by a, a lady. And I recognized her name. And I picked up the phone and I called Sheree. And I said... Is this the, the couple that we had dinner with when we were in Raleigh? Is this the, is this the gal that you knew in Raleigh? She said, yeah, that's her. And I knew this lady, and she had a wonderful family, and she had a husband and two girls. We went over there for dinner. We weren't, weren't close friends at all. We, we just connected with them briefly. I don't want to give you that impression, but, but here's the thing. As I began to read what she wrote about the death of her dream, it broke my heart, and it made me realize we all are there. She, she had a husband, as I said, and, and, and two daughters, and she already was suffering from polio. So you know the physical hardships that you, you have to work through there. But then she writes that her husband leaves her, and her two girls, as they get older, denounce their faith. They turn back from the gospel, and her life over the course of 
months and years becomes unraveled to the point where all of her dreams and all of her expectations about her family are gone. You ever been there, mom and dad? Husband or wife? All of her dreams and expectations about what would be in their marriage, now embarrassed, full of shame. About their children. I mean, as parents who love Jesus, to have a, have a son or a daughter come to you and say, I renounce this. She said it got to the point where she entered into depression. I don't know if it was, you know, like a clinical depression or if it was just an emotional state, and both of those things can happen, but... She said it got to the point where she would just cry. She would just cry when she, when she was provoked. She would just cry with her friends. And so she, she finally said, I, I need to be with my friends more. And she'd try and get with them more. And whenever she would be with them and they'd want to talk through it, all she would do is just weep. And some of you are there. This morning you come into Easter and, and, and there's smiles on your face, but he, here's what I know to be true, because I see it every week, your family and your, and your marriage or your, your children or the circumstances you're in or your hearts are hurting. And, and you're wondering, is there any hope? I love what she wrote, though, as she sat down with her friends and she begins to weep and they don't know what to say to her. And one of her friends says this. Let me read this for you. And I hope it speaks directly to some of you who feel this way this morning. It says, when I think of you and pray for you, this is a friend to her, I keep seeing this image. It's of the disciples and Jesus' mother, Mary, weeping at the foot of the cross. They are huddled together trying to comfort each other trying to make sense of all that has happened, but it just doesn't make any sense. The sky is black, all hope looks lost, their dreams have died, it seems that nothing good will ever come from this. You ever feel that way? To them, this day, Good Friday, is the darkest day they've ever known. But the one thing that they do not know is this. And here's the one thing that we do know. And here's the encouraging word that I would give to you because Jesus being raised from the dead, God having invaded the despair of the death of your dream, here's what she said to her. Here's the one thing that Mary and the disciples didn't know. It is this, that Easter is what? Coming. Easter is coming. For you today, Easter is coming. Easter is here. And that you in your hurt, you in your broken dreams, you in the shattered expectations, you when you think this doesn't make sense, and it's so black you have nowhere to go, Christ has risen from the grave. And God has invaded through his power the despair of the death of the things in your life that you hold dear. Take heart this morning. Take heart in that this morning. Here's the second thing. That Jesus, through his life and through his death, liberates us from the despair of sin. 
There's the despair of death. Now here's the despair of sin. Look in verses 5 and 6 again. I love what the angel does. The angel communicates, gives us the gospel. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. You come. See the place where he is lying or where he laid. And so what the angel is doing is simply saying this. Here's the gospel for you. You are looking for the one who was crucified. But now he is not here. He has been risen again. What the angel is putting together is this. Here's a rugged cross and an empty tomb. The two must go together in order for you and me to be free from our sin. Because we all come into the world enslaved to ourselves and to our sin. And we demonstrate that slavery by the way we act, by the sins that we commit, by the things that we do. And when the angel says Jesus has been crucified and has been risen again, what the angel is saying, here's two parts to the gospel. It's the words that Jesus gave when he died on the cross for our sins. The word, Three simple words, it is finished. But add to the words, he is risen. The powerful one-two punch of the gospel. The rugged cross and the empty tomb. I love what we did this past Friday. For those of you who have come through our uh, Welcome Center right here, you see this cross that is out here. And if you were here for our Good Friday services, it stood right over here to my right. And what this cross symbolizes, we took the Lord's Supper together and as we walked through and remembered the Lord's death on Good Friday, what this cross symbolized was the sacrifice or the substitute that Jesus made for us because we took our sins and we put them on him, it says in the scriptures. And so when we were here on Friday, this cross, it didn't have anything on it initially. And what one of our, our great families did when uh, they led us to the cross, that they would take the, the outlines of our sins. They had these, these little placards. And it had on their lust and hate and rebellion, your career, your addiction. And they put these, these cards on the cross and they took a, a paintbrush, a roller. And they put it in paint and they rolled our sins on the cross for, for us to see. It was an incredibly vivid picture. At the top, above where Jesus' head would be, was the simple word, me. And, and as I was thinking about what Christ has done and as the angel comes to those who come to that empty tomb, you have to have the rugged cross to go with the empty tomb. Otherwise, the gospel is incomplete. And the words that Jesus said as I thought about that cross with those words on there. And as at the end of our time together, they took red paint and, and poured it over that cross. And the blood comes down and, and covers my sin. I love the, the words of Jesus when when, as that red comes down over the cross, the words of Jesus is very clear. It is finished. This is what it tells me, that my sin is done. I'm no longer a slave to it. When, when I got home 
When I got home later on Friday, or rather it was at the office, when I got the office, I took out my journal. After that service, I began to write, here's my sin. Here's my shortcomings. Here's what enslaves me. Here's what keeps me separated from him. And for some of you, you have never come to this cross. You have never come to the one who has died for you. You've never taken a brush and rolled your sin on this cross. And today could be the day when the angel says, he is not here, the one has been crucified. You need to hear this. That God loves you and has sent his son to die for you and your sin is rolled on that cross. But your sin has been paid. It cannot hold you back any longer. Have you received this incredibly good news of forgiveness? I pray you have. I pray you will today in whatever room you're in. But this is good for the believer to understand as well that our sin no longer enslaves us. Just not one time when we become a follower of Jesus, but when as followers of Jesus we continually fall into the same sin over and over and over again. And Jesus has declared, it is finished. It is done. You are no longer enslaved to that. And what the empty tomb says is that what Jesus has finished, now God has empowered you to live free. You are free from your sin. The tomb and the power of the Holy Spirit can allow you to live without any regard to the things that hold you back any longer. Do you believe that? I was so excited about this. Just the simple truth. It is finished. I am free. That, that afternoon when my car was in the shop and I, they're kind enough to give me a ride. And so they send over a guy that I've been in the car with a couple of times. I get to know him. His name is James. He's probably in his 60s. He's just a soft-spoken, sweet man. And he doesn't talk a whole lot. Maybe it's because he knows I'm a preacher. And when he gets in the car, he gets, maybe get a little bit nervous, right? But he's really soft-spoken and he doesn't say a whole bunch. And I get in the car with him. It's just me and him. And I said, James, we just had this incredible service. A good Friday service. I'm getting ready for Easter, preparing for Easter Sunday. And I said, James, I just want to share with you this incredible news. These three words. What does it mean to you that it is finished? Isn't that powerful, James? He didn't say a whole lot at first. And he's probably thinking, how can I get this guy quickly to the body shop? And he's like, Arr. he's probably picking up the pace a little bit. And we're going down Wade Hampton and he just stops and, and says this. It is finished means that Jesus has died for the whole world. He said every man, every woman, every boy, every girl throughout all of history, it is finished. I said, come on, James, you're starting to preach now. Come on. It is finished. I said, amen. I said, but James, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I said, it's just not a global thing. It's just not a, we, we, we say it and we believe it and we go on our way. It is incredibly personal. 
Is it personal to you? Here's where, where some of you this morning who aren't followers of Jesus, here's, here is the simple truth. This is why you are here, to understand that it is finished and the tomb is empty and you are free from your sin. It is for you, this message. Have you responded to this message? Because God loves you dearly. And when the tomb became empty, God said, you are free. You are free. Both those who respond to it for the first time and those who continually are responding, continually over and over, coming to Christ and saying, Christ, forgive me, I'm free. What an incredible truth. Last thing this morning and then we're done. Verses 7 through 10. Look at it. Go quickly. The angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So the angel says, God says, through the angel, tell, tells the angel, tell those guys that I want to see him, that Jesus wants to see him. Tell them to meet up in Galilee. Verse 8. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said this, don't be afraid, Mary. Go and take word to my brothers to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Here's the third thing this morning, that God's faithfulness prevails when we are in a crisis of faith. This is what I love about the resurrection story. God's faithfulness prevails when we are in a crisis of faith. These guys were in a crisis of faith. These are the same guys that are supposed to be the leaders of the church. These are the men who have run and who are hiding and whom that when, when, when people question them, for instance, like Peter. Peter said, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. On, in, in, on one hand, but on the other hand, when a little servant girl says, aren't you the one that is following Jesus? What does he do? He curses her out. He runs and he hides. It's just like you and me. He goes through crisis of unbelief. He goes through crisis of faith. He goes through crisis of despair that turn him upside down. All these disciples, the dream had died and now they're hiding. They're hiding in the city of Jerusalem. But what is the message from God the Father and from Jesus the Son? I have no use for these guys. They're a bunch of cowards and I'm done with them. Is that what he does? No, he says to the angels, tell them... I'm going to use them. Tell them that in their crisis of faith, that I'm faithful. Tell, tell, Jesus tells the women, I want to see the brothers. I want to see them. I want them to understand that even though they doubt, because when the women come to tell the disciples, you can read it in the Gospels, they don't believe them. They said, you're making up stories. But here's the story of Easter that God seeks out, because he is faithful, those who are in a crisis of faith. Maybe you are here this morning and you're really struggling with your faith. You're really struggling with, with this concept of who God is and who Jesus is and how it impacts your life. And you've come here this morning and you'll walk out and you'll, you might say, that's over. <laughs> but God is looking and God pursues 
God pursues those who are in a crisis of faith because of his great compassion and his great love. He wants to reveal himself to you this morning. And he knows where you are. Here's the crazy part. He knows where you are. (laughs) You really can't hide. It reminds me of playing hide and seek with the kids. We we were at my um, in-laws last night, Sheree's mom and dad, and this morning, um, as I was thinking about playing hide and seek and, and using this as an illustration, I asked Emma Grace, my daughter, I said, do you remember when, um, do you remember when grandma plays hide and seek with you? Because she does something a little bit different. <laughs> and she laughed and she knew exactly what it was. Hide and seek is such a great game because the parents and the grandparents always know where the kids are. You find them eventually, Right? You always find them because the kids are, are um, they'll whisper. If they're hiding in the closet, they'll whisper, hey, and you'll hear them, and you'll just kind of smile. Or a little closet door will be open, and you'll see a foot sticking out. <laughs> or, or you're downstairs, and you hear the, and you know exactly where they're going, right? But um, Sheree's mom, Emma Grayson Harrison's grandma, does something really kind of cute. And occasionally, I've heard this as she she would play hide and seek with the kids, is that she would know where they are, and she would pretend that they are hiding, but she knows exactly where they are, and she would just give them a little a little call, a little shout. She would go, "Yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo," and she'd get closer and closer to them. Yoo-hoo, I know where you are. Yoo-hoo, I'm pursuing you in great love. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's yoo-hoo to those of you who are hiding. To those of you who are cowering in fear and in despair. And you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do. And you think you've blown it. And maybe you have. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's call to you to come to the one who has died and risen for you. And I love this story. Because it has such an incredible 30,000 foot truths to it that one day when they put me in a box and put me in dirt that one day I will see Christ but then it's also got very much on the ground in my office in my bedroom in my hurt in my tears in my life in my family truths that God has not abandoned me. God has not abandoned you in your despair. He has given his son. And he calls for us. Just as he called Mary that day. As Jesus walked in there. Walked in the garden. And they fell down and they worshipped him. So it is with us. Will you worship him? What does that mean? Will you submit to him? What does that mean? Will you take whatever sin is there and will you give it to him? Will you maybe for the very first time follow him? 
Will you see the risen Christ with the eyes of your heart this morning? Praise God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love this incredible story, but it's more than a story. It's the truth that should line our hearts and fill us with joy and fill us with thanksgiving and fill us with reckless abandonment to Christ. And so we pray this morning that whoever, whoever needs to come to Christ would do so. And that whoever needs to fall on their faces before Christ today or tonight or this week and give to him their despair and their hurt, that it will be a rugged cross and an empty tomb that drives them there. So, Father, thank you. By your Holy Spirit, do amazing things in our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen.